all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. Good morning, and thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Southern Remedy, Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Joining me today on the show, I have Dr. Paul Byers, who's the State Epidemiologist at the Mississippi State Department of Health. And we're going to be talking about the upcoming flu season, vaccinations, um, as well as sprinkling some questions in about COVID vaccines that I have uh, received as well. If you have a question for us about um, the flu, about vaccinations for the flu or COVID, uh, now's a great time to talk to one of the leading experts in Mississippi on that. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 Our email is fit at mpbonline.org. Or you can go over to Facebook to Healthy Habits with Josie and drop your question there. Good morning, Dr. Byers. Hey, good morning. How are you? I am well. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. I can only imagine you are incredibly busy, and we really appreciate you joining us today. Oh, no, my pleasure. So, uh, we, you know, it seems weird to talk about anything other than COVID, um, but the flu is right around the corner. Flu season is right around the corner, and so I felt like it was really important for us to talk about um, what we can maybe expect for the upcoming flu season, as well as the importance of of vaccination in the prevention of flu. I just got my flu shot today. I'm feeling Yay. great. Um, and so let's let's start with that. Let's talk about the upcoming flu season. Last year was relatively mild in terms of the flu. What's on the docket do we think for this year? Oh, you, well, you're right. First of all, last year was historically mild. Um, the flu activity that we detected from our surveillance network was was low, and it wasn't just low in in Mississippi. It was uh, really almost uh, uh, low to non-existent in all parts of the United States, and that was seen worldwide as well. It's hard to know what to expect mm-hmm. from this upcoming flu season. Um, you know, flu seasons are notoriously variable from season to season, anyway. And uh, you know, I, I think that uh, we need to be prepared that we're going to see flu activity in Mississippi in the United States. And the best way to prepare yourself for that is to go ahead and take the opportunity now uh, before the end of October, like you did, to get flu vaccine. And that's really important what you just mentioned there, like optimal timing. Um, Because even today, I was given flu shots today, and somebody said, is it not too early to get the the flu vaccine? And so you mentioned by the end of October is kind of when we need to be. But 
you know, what, when should we start? Is, is it too early? It's not too early. It's a balance. Um, you know, you want to make sure that, that you give the vaccine early enough so that people have time to develop uh, immunity against infection uh, before we really get into the thick of flu season, if we are to have a, a significant one this season. Uh, but you also want to balance that against making sure that they have protection that extends long enough mm-hmm. through the potential um, length of the flu season. So, so really, we're we're in that time time of the year where it's really going to be best between now and the, and really the end of October to make sure that you're vaccinated. Yeah, and flu season really kind of officially starts October. Right. Uh, and like you mentioned, it takes you know about two weeks or so to kind of have that full effectiveness of the flu vaccine and so now now's the perfect time you know we'll get you right before uh, october starts with that are there any changes to the flu vaccine this year well one of the big changes is that all the flu vaccines are going to cover uh four different types of influenza now we've had some vaccines that have done that before but really every vaccine is going to be doing that this year so it's going to be against uh Two influenza A viruses that are that are known to to circulate during a given season, as well as two influenza B, B viruses. So, um, it should provide protection against um, those four different types of flu, which is going to be important because, as we know from our experience with any flu season, you usually have a predominant strain uh, that causes most of the infections. But you can have multiple different types of flu that are circulating and causing illness at any one given season. Yeah. And so people, you may uh, see it on packaging or on the, the sheet that you're given. Um, that four viruses, you often see it written as, as quadrivalent. Right. So if you see that on your packaging, that's what that's what we're talking about is that quadrivalent uh, four uh, kind of strains of it, two of A and two of um, B. Because people often think once they've had flu kind of once in a season that they're done. But you can have flu A and then later have flu B. Or we've, we've, seen that. Had... we've seen that frequently, yeah. and, and, and you're right. And, That's the best way yeah, to get protection. One, I've seen a couple folks who had both at the same time. Oh, yeah. Which is just, it, you know, it's, that's just bad luck, but also makes you incredibly ill. Um, so, again, vaccination is really, really important. Now, I, I know I get a lot of pushback um, sometimes from folks that are like, well, if I'm wearing my mask and I'm socially distancing for COVID reasons, why do I need to get vaccinated against the flu? And, and you know, that's such a great point. And, and that certainly may play into why we saw less of a flu season last year was because people were doing things like wearing a mask and physically distancing. And, you know, we certainly had mask use in schools, and we know that the children in schools can serve to be a a great transmitter of flu in any given season. Masks are good, um, but the vaccine provides you that additional protection to prevent you from having not only infection, but just like with a lot of vaccinations, the real benefit of the flu vaccine is the reduction in those severe complications, hospitalizations, and deaths that can occur if you do become infected. So even if you become infected after you've been vaccinated, your risk of of going into the hospital, your risk of dying is significantly reduced, especially for those people 
who are older or younger or have underlying medical problems that put them at risk. Josie. And Yeah, Kevin. We have got a caller on the line. So why don't we say right. good morning to Michael, who's calling in from Oxford. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. How can we help you? Uh, well, I wanted to I wanted to ask a question on the Healthy and Fit show. All right. Well, you're on. Okay, sounds like Go me. Uh, good morning. Good um, morning. Okay, my question my question is I there was a report of um, the port the poison control uh, center in Mississippi has reported seventy percent of their calls or about uh, ivermectin, and that's what I, I'm wondering. How many people is that? If it's 70% are calling because they've had overdoses of ivermectin, and you can talk about ivermectin and it, mm-hmm. and how it's counter-indicated, but I just wonder how many people is that? Excellent question. Dr. Byers, do you know a number on that or any other kind of additional information on that? Well, let me just provide some some context. So, so when we released that that information earlier on, it was in relation to the fact that the poison control center had begun to um, receive increased calls to the center regarding potential toxicity related to folks taking ivermectin, and that seventy percent was seventy percent of the ivermectin related calls that were received by the Poison Control Center at that time were related to livestock ivermectin. And at the time, the numbers were low. They were less than 10. Um, and certainly, more calls have been received since that time. The, the um, purpose of that was to inform people and to remind people not to try to self-medicate by taking livestock medication, which we know because of its higher concentrations of medication, because it's really not formulated for people, and it's really not studied for use in people, to not take livestock ivermectin. Our our main message needs to be that if an individual is infected with COVID, certainly monoclonal antibodies are an effective treatment that have been shown to prevent hospitalization and death. But we also recommend talking to your physician and take only those medications that are prescribed by your physician for the appropriate condition, whether it's ivermectin or other medications. And really what we want to encourage folks to do is to not self-treat, but rather um, consult a, a healthcare professional and, and not to take livestock medications. But yeah, thank you for the absolutely. question. Yeah, it was a great question. And you know, I think it. A lot of times, things like that are just kind of born out of, of fear, you know, and and trying to kind of cut through all of the the noise that's out there about what is safe and effective. And you know, we've used ivermectin in other cases for many many years for Absolutely. other things, um, but human formulated ivermectin is an right. important distinction there. Uh, and like you mentioned, this the safety and dosing. Uh, you know, it's uh, super concentrated uh, for the the livestock variety of that, and very difficult to uh, have any degree of certainty in how much you would actually be getting um, if you just 
tried to take a portion of that. So right. it's just overall better to like see Dr. your doctor, said, consult your yeah, yeah. absolutely consult your healthcare provider, discuss your concerns with them, um, and develop a treatment plan together that uh, best addresses that. And echoing the monoclonal antibodies as well, as well as, as the a, vaccine. Yes, as well as the vaccine. Yes, because it's all about layers. Right. You know, there's not one thing that's going to be 100 percent effective at preventing things. But when we stack them together, we just add layers and layers of protection, hand washing. Right. Just because we get the flu vaccine doesn't mean we don't need to wash our hands or cover our coughs and sneezes or cover your cough. Right. Stay home when you're sick. Those are all important things to prevent transmission of a lot of of respiratory viruses. you know, we have to, to add those up together to really get the, the best bang for our buck in terms of, of protection there. Before we go on our first break, since we talked about monoclonals, I did have a question that came in. Um, you know, there's been guidance, of course, that if you receive monoclonal antibodies for the treatment of COVID-19, that you wait 90 days before you receive the COVID vaccine. I had a question that came in and asked about was there any waiting period to get the flu vaccine if they have received monoclonals? No, there's not. Um, there's there's not been any that's that's been published that that an individual would have to wait after after that after receiving the monoclonal antibodies for COVID. Um, if they have an opportunity to get the flu vaccine, they can go ahead and do that. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell. Joining me today is Dr. Paul Byers, and we are talking about flu season and flu vaccines. We're also um, receiving some questions about COVID treatment and COVID vaccines, which you're free to send those in as well. Our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. Or you can email us, fit at mpbonline.org, or drop me a message over on Facebook at Healthy Habits with Josie. Kevin, I believe we had a question about the Moderna vaccine. Uh, that's right. Um, I got the Moderna vaccine, uh, but uh, since then, I've not heard anything about um, the uh, the FDA giving the, the full approval. And then when we talk about a booster, it seems like we hear Pfizer, 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 but I've not heard Moderna for a while, so I wondered uh, what's going on with that. No, that's such a great, a great question. So... You know, we rolled out the Moderna vaccination a little bit later than we did Pfizer. If you remember, we had Pfizer as early as December of of 2020. And so certainly there's more data um, available looking at Pfizer. And that's really why it's it's a little bit ahead of the curve of Moderna or Johnson & Johnson. 
Uh, I know that Moderna has made an application for full EU uh, uh, approval from FDA for their vaccinations. And remember that the Moderna is recommended for those individuals who are 18 and older. And so we've used lots of Moderna in, in Mississippi, and it's a, it's a good, safe, and effective vaccine. I don't know where we are in the time frame of, of when Moderna may get that, that full uh, approval from FDA, but it still has approval from emergency use authorization. And that does mean that it is a fully authorized uh, vaccine from the FDA under that EUA. Uh, and we are still given lots of Moderna. As far as when we might have a booster for Moderna, again, it's it's the same principle. It's a little bit behind on the data. Right now, they have the data available to look at, at Pfizer to determine um, the potential for waning immunity over time and to look at a potential booster for that. So I think we just really are going to have to follow the science on this one and just wait until we get that, that data for Moderna. But I anticipate that we will likely have some recommendations for a booster on it uh, in the coming weeks as well. Great. Well, while we're talking about boosters, let's talk about who who needs a booster of Pfizer right now. Well, I think it's a, it's important to talk about a, a third dose or a booster dose in a couple of different contexts. So, so number one, for those people who are moderately or severely immunocompromised, uh, folks who've had um, uh, a transplant, folks who've undergone treatment for for cancer, folks who may be on medications that can um, affect their immune response to vaccines, certainly it's recommended for them to get a third dose of vaccine, either Pfizer or Moderna, if that's what they received for their initial two doses now, really, uh, if it's been four weeks since their last dose. And the importance of that is to make sure that those people who may be immunocompromised um, but did not mount as big a response to the first two doses, have an opportunity to go ahead and get a full immune response from, from the vaccine. So that's one component of our, of our strategy with a third dose is to get those folks who, who may not be adequately immunized because they're immunocompromised. A booster dose is a little bit different. That's folks who, who got the two doses and and did have an effective immune response, but over time, that response may be waning. And right now, um, you know, the FDA, although we're still waiting for full guidance from CDC and the Advisory uh, Committee on Immunization Practices from CDC on what that booster is going to look like, right now it looks like it's going to be for um, folks who've received two doses of Pfizer previously, will be eligible for a booster dose six months after their last dose if they're 65 or older or have underlying uh, chronic medical problems that may risk, raise their risk of, of severe illness or if they fall into certain occupations, like they're a healthcare worker or they're a teacher. Um, but we're still waiting to see what that, what that official guidance is going to look like. Yeah. Josie? And that's an important distinction. Yeah, Kevin. We got another caller on the line. All right. This time we'll visit with John from Madison. Good morning, hey, John. How uh, can we help you? Uh, I was wondering if 
uh, if she got the flu without getting the flu, we got vaccinated or not, if she got the flu, would that weaken your immune system and increase your chances of getting COVID? And if it did, you would have the flu and COVID and be in a world of hurt? Gosh, that's a good that's, phrase, the world of hurt. <laughs> the world of hurt is right. That's a, that's a good question. And and certainly it is possible to be co-infected with, with more than one respiratory virus at a time. And so it's certainly possible that, that someone could be infected with both COVID um, and the flu uh, at the same time. Um, now, what that would look like clinically and how sick the person would be uh, is really going to be dependent upon if that person has been has been vaccinated for 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 both of those infections uh, prior to that. Um, but there is a good possibility, uh, although I don't ant- anticipate that we're going to see it very often, that there will be some folks who who may be infected with with both flu and COVID at the same time. We'll have to see. We didn't get much experience with that last season because we had such a mild flu season. We sure would love to have a mild flu season this year um, uh, so that we we don't see see co-infections like that. Another reason to get, uh, to get your flu vaccine. It, it is, and, and it's a great opportunity to talk about the fact that you can get uh, both the flu and the COVID vaccine at the, at the same time. Uh, if, if you're in the office and you have them available, you can go ahead and give them at the same time. There's really no no minimum time that has to be spread out between a COVID vaccine and a flu vaccine. They can be co-administered simultaneously or at any time interval. And that's a great point because that's a little bit different guidance than we were initially given um, from the CDC about timing of vaccinations with the COVID vaccine. We kind of had some initial guidance that you had to wait 14 days um, right. between those kinds of things. And so it's, it's not that we changed our mind. It's just that we got better science, you know, and so as science has continues to evolve and we get answers to these things, we update guidelines. And so if you, you know, if you've got some, some previous messaging from your healthcare providers about maybe some other vaccines that you were needing to get, and they told you you had to wait that 14 days, that's no longer a thing. So just like Dr. Byers mentioned, you can go ahead and get the flu vaccine and the COVID vaccine at the same time. You've got two arms, so <laughs> one on each side. <laughs> for that there. All right, we had a question come in via Facebook uh, that says, hello, I'm unable to have the flu vaccines and have two questions, Um, especially with this highly contagious Delta variant. Have they found spread through touching groceries and other merchandise? My groceries are either put into my trunk or delivered to my door. Do I have to worry about handling the boxes and other items? And I'm I am further than the recommended distance from my neighbors outside, but their pets come up to me. Can I safely pet their animals? So it's really more about fomite transmission, um, I believe, what this question is talking about, and the can we get COVID from the the surfaces and how likely that is to happen. Um, No, that's that's a good question. Um, Certainly, you know, environmental cleaning and and cleaning of things that that are coming into your house is is always a good idea to to help reduce. the risk of, of uh, infections, and but what we're seeing really is is that the transmission is is not as likely through those environmental surfaces like that, but more through that direct person to person contact uh, because this is a respiratory 
a virus. And I think that, you know, you're you're doing the right thing. CDC does have some guidance on their website still about, you know, what to do about um, groceries and other things that you bring into your house. And I certainly would follow follow that guidance. But we're seeing really uh, that the primary driver of transmission of this virus is far and away that direct person-to-person contact with somebody who is infected and during their infectious period. Now, as far as pets, we have not seen any documented evidence of transmission of COVID from pets to people. So I feel comfortable with you um, certainly interacting with, with your neighbor's pets. Yeah, and that, you know, it's important because that usually makes the headlines when, like, an animal at the zoo gets COVID. And is right, it does, COVID, it does. And so certainly there have been some animals identified, uh, but n- not the other way around, not that transmission right. from animals. Right, that's a great one there. And, you know, for this person, you know, you're you're doing a lot of great things, right? You know, you're getting your groceries delivered or, you know, getting them kind of put into your trunk. You're adding in layers of protection for yourself since you're not able to get vaccinated. Um, the, the kind of third thing is, you know, if you handle your groceries, you know, just wash your hands, you know, and go ahead and do some really good hand hygiene after you, you know, after you touch those things, after you play with these pets. Just go ahead and uh, and give your hands a, a good wash there, and you should be good to go. Um, what about hand sanitizers, Dr. Byers? Are they an effective strategy as well if we don't have access to, to soap and water? They really are. I mean, I think hand sanitizers, just because of the part of it is the utility and, and the convenience of those are, are very good, you know, especially in settings where it's harder for kids to wash wash their hands. Hand sanitizers are, are um, uh, a really good, effective way to, to prevent um, uh, you getting those virus particles or bacteria on your hands that you transmit to other people or to yourself from from picking them up and so um, we do encourage the use of hand sanitizers hand washing is effective as well especially if you have stuff on your hands that are not going to come off with with hand sanitizer so it's it's a good idea you know to give your your hands a scrub with soap and water uh, after the bathroom etc but um, certainly um, hand sanitizer is is very effective and is effective against uh, uh, transmission of COVID as well. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker. Some of the big names that travel up and down the highways, obviously Elvis and Johnny Cash, and you have Jerry Lee Lewis, Carl Perkins. Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. Johnny Cash suggested that Carl write a song called Blue Suede Shoes that was all kind of created with Aaron Amory. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org slash radio or by using your favorite podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Thanks for joining us today. This is Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. 
I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell. Joining me today is Dr. Paul Byers, and we've been talking about um, the upcoming flu season, the importance of flu vaccination, as well as taking your questions about COVID treatments and COVID vaccines. If you have a question for us, our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring You can email us, fit at mpbonline.org, or you can go over to Facebook to Healthy Habits with Josie and drop me a message there. And I had someone who commented on Facebook that they were at the pharmacy getting their flu vaccine now and that it was easy breezy through the Walgreens app. So I'm not sure. I've never used the Walgreens app, but that's good to know that she had zero trouble getting that um, getting that scheduled and is Uh in line to get her vaccine today. No kidding. I'm glad folks are doing it. Yes, that's great. So um, that brings me to kind of who should who should or shouldn't get the flu vaccine? Are there groups of folks who should not receive flu vaccination? Really, most everybody is eligible for for flu vaccine, um, and we encourage it broadly. Anybody six months of age and older really is eligible for the vaccine. There's there's very few contraindications to to influenza vaccine. Um, It's recommended for everybody age six months and older. Um, But, you know, there's some groups that certainly are going to be very important to get vaccinated. Um, You know, children, especially children under the age of of 10, even more so under the age of 5, may be at higher risk for for complications that can occur. And and years past, although not in this, this past season, but in previous seasons, we have unfortunately seen pediatric influenza deaths that have occurred. Um, also, you know, individuals who are on the extremes of age, uh, over the age of 65, people who have underlying medical problems like diabetes, heart disease, chronic lung disease, asthma, those kinds of things are, are more prone to severe complications. So certainly it's, it's recommended for them. Um, the individuals who are overweight or obese may be at higher risk, and it's even important for pregnant women. Um, we know that pregnant women may be at higher risk for complications from influenza as well. And so, uh, really, there are specific groups that it's especially important for, but really everybody should be getting vaccinated. And you mentioned that six months and older, and so that's really important for folks to realize that the little ones can get a flu vaccine. You know, we hear a lot about pediatric vaccines now and kind of waiting on approval for the the pediatric vaccine for COVID and right now only approved for Pfizer, only approved for 12 and over um, through um, the EUA. So babies can get the flu vaccine six months and older. And if it's the first time a kiddo has ever gotten the flu vaccine, there's a two-step, right? Right. Uh, so if, if you're um, eight years of age, I believe, or, or younger and you've not ever gotten a flu vaccine before, uh, it's recommended that those those children get get two doses separated by at least four weeks. Um, if you've had a, 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 a previous vaccine for that eight-year-old in the past, they don't have to, to get but, but just the one. That's important when we just think about timing, right? If we want to get our vaccine on board and have it kind of at its peak effectiveness before we really get into the nitty-gritty of flu season, then now is a really good time for those little ones who maybe have never received a flu vaccine before because you got to get dose one and then in four weeks get that second dose. Yeah, get that second dose. And you're right. Now's the perfect timing for those kids to to be doing that. So if you're you're a parent and you've got a child who's never been vaccinated, 
um, who's in that age group. Uh, yeah, go ahead and be planning on doing it now so you make sure that they're fully protected by the end of October. Josie? Yeah, and yeah, Kevin? We got another caller, and this right. time it's Hubert in Jackson. All right, Hubert, you're on the air with us. How can we help you? Hey. Hello, go ahead. Oh, okay. Hubert, uh, just turn your radio down, speak to us through the phone. Right. Uh, I had uh, my Moderna vaccine booster last week, and I had some uh, reactions from it, headaches and uh, chills and fevers and so forth. It went away after 24 hours, and yes, I'm on Trimphia for uh, uh, psoriasis, and I'm asking whether... I need to report that, uh, the reaction to anybody, and did the Trimphia cause the reaction, maybe? You know, what you're describing is is um, is pretty common and can be seen for folks who've, who've gotten their third dose, um, and, and we have received reports that, um, that folks, after they get their third dose, may have more of those kind of symptoms that you would expect from the, from the vaccine. Uh, a lot of times it can be... Uh, mild fever, chills, flu-like symptoms uh, uh, that can last for 24 to 48 hours. So that's a that's probably a pretty typical reaction from that um, third dose of the Moderna, rather than through the medications that you're taking. So really, um, there's not anything that you need to do to report. I'm glad you got your dose, and I'm real glad that you're that you're feeling better and that it was uh, it was only some short-time uh, symptoms. Thank you. Thank you for giving us the call. And that brings up a really important um, uh, kind of point of what you can expect with, with COVID vaccinations. And so, you know, my first one, I, had, I got Pfizer, and really I just felt fatigued, you know, just a little bit tired, like I needed to take a nap. And then with dose two, I did have some of the fever, chills, muscle aches, just like you mentioned, kind of felt like the flu a little bit, um, lasted about 24 hours and then and then resolved itself. Um, now, I chose to participate in the V-SAFE program yep. um, with the CDC, which is a great way for them to, to get information about how people are tolerating um, the vaccine. And so when you see kind of information that gets pushed out that says, these are common things that happen after the vaccine. That's where they're getting that information from. So if you've not gotten your COVID vaccine and you're you're planning to, um, the VSAFE program is completely um, completely optional. It's completely free, and you just sign up. and They text you um, every like every day for the first week, I believe, and then it's like every week for a couple of weeks, and then it spaces to every month. And then uh, I think the last time they texted me was about six months out from from that vaccine. So they can really get some some longer term information about how people are feeling after that vaccine. That's such um, a but, great um, great point, and and I participated in that as well. And that is a good way for folks for the for the CDC and for. Um, uh, other federal agencies to to know sort of the the um, re- reaction to those vaccines, and I think be safe if I'm not forgetting. Even re- send you a reminder that it's time mm-hmm. for your your second dose, and so Thank it's you. it's a pretty Indeed. neat little system. 
Yeah, and you know when you put the, put your information in there, if if you're having a you know significantly feeling bad, they'll somebody will actually call you uh, and talk through some of those things more to you know see how you're feeling and what your symptoms may have been. Um, for um, folks who are able to have babies, they also ask you if at any point in time since you got your vaccine, did you become pregnant? Um, and that's how we get some of that information about about the fact that people are getting pregnant and having healthy babies um, after after vaccination. Um, that you know that's been a hot topic recently is COVID vaccination in pregnancy. And you mentioned earlier about flu vaccination in pregnancy. Is there an optimal time for either one of those to occur during pregnancy? Well, for for the flu vaccine, because we're just now getting getting it available, um, I think it's important for even in those those women who who may be um, in their third trimester uh, that it is this uh, safe and effective and and really important for them to go ahead and get vaccinated if they're in their third trimester right now or toward the end of the pregnancy. Uh, really, flu vaccination though is recommended for any woman who who is pregnant or may become pregnant. Uh, during the flu season. Really the same applies for, for COVID. Um, w- we have seen that there are some deaths among pregnant women in Mississippi, and that's being seen more in the United States as well, and that there have been um, increased hospitalizations in pregnant women uh, uh, due to COVID. And so I think it's it's really important, and that's one of the messages we've been trying to, to get out, is that really if you're pregnant or if you're in childbearing age or if you may become pregnant um, uh, and you haven't gotten COVID vaccine, please go ahead and do so now. Yeah, and, you know, I, I'm past the childbearing ages. My kids are, my youngest is 10, but, you know, trust your OBGYN. You know, if yes. you're concerned, I can imagine that, you know, this is a scary time to be pregnant, um, but really have that conversation with your, your OBGYN. You know, the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology um, recommends COVID vaccination. The Society for Reproductive Medicine also um, recommends that. So, you know, instead of kind of getting distracted by social media and, and all the other, other things that are out there, just have a real open communication and open conversation with with your OBGYN and let them talk, you know, talk through your individual concerns so that you can, you know, maybe get a little bit of peace of mind there and moving forward with that. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.
you're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell. Joining me is Dr. Paul Byers, and we've been answering your questions about flu vaccines and COVID vaccines today. We are in the last segment of the show, so if you've got a burning question, now's the time. Our number is 1-877-672-7464. Josie. We did have, yeah, Kevin, we got a caller? We've got three callers on the line. Oh, my. Well, lay them on me. All right. We will start with Karen in Jackson. Good morning, Karen. How can we help you? Um, I have a question about flu vaccine for little ones. My grandson is two, and I'm not sure if he had a vaccine last year. Is uh, is flu mist available this year in case mom and dad don't want to poke him? <laughs> Isn't that a good question? Yeah, I believe flu mist is available this year. And, and, and just as a reminder, it's recommended for for individuals between the ages of two and 49. Got it. And and that would be two doses also, just as though he'd gotten an injection if it's his first time? I believe that is correct. Okay. Thank you very much. Yes, ma'am. All right. Uh, next, it's uh, Jay in Vicksburg. All right. Good morning, Jay. How can we help you? Hey, good morning, y'all. Um, I had a question concerning the uh, the flu vaccine we were talking about earlier, and okay. with it being with it being a mix of the of four different variants of two type A and two type B, would um, more intense side effects be something that's expected out of that or no? No, um, that, that wouldn't be just based on that. Um, actually, the, the vaccines for flu have had um, uh, either three or four uh, viruses that they're targeted against for a number of years. Um, in past years, there's been an option for, for a, a vaccine that only has three, uh, but now they've moved to, to the four to provide better protection just because we see typically in any season a couple of different Bs that can cause illness. But no, that doesn't change the, the response or the reaction that you would have as a result of the, the flu vaccine, but that's a great question. Oh, awesome. Thank you for the information. I really appreciate it. Yes, sir. You're welcome. Have a great week. Josie, sadly, we we lost our third caller, so proceed. All right. Well, we did have a question that came in on Facebook. Um, Switching back to COVID vaccines, it says, I believe some pharmacies are giving the third dose slash booster dose for COVID. I know we should follow the science, but would it be harmful or unsafe to take the booster before Pfizer and Materna get their final approval, especially if a person is over the age of 65? No, as a matter of fact, I, I would recommend it. And just as a reminder, who's eligible for the for the third dose right now are individuals who've been fully vaccinated with either Pfizer or Moderna, that's two shots, and are at least four weeks out from their their last dose or their second dose and um, are uh, uh, immunocompromised from uh, a condition like they're taking medications, they're on long-term steroids, they're taking medications for rheumatoid arthritis, Um, you know, they've had a transplant, they've undergone cancer treatment, or really anything that your doctor indicates is a potential that has compromised your immune system. We recommend that those people go ahead and get that third dose now, um, both Moderna and Pfizer have been recommended for a third dose for people who are immunocompromised. Um, we've given uh, 
tens of thousands of third doses in the state so far, over 40,000. Um, and and uh, actually, for those people who may be immunocompromised, it's imperative uh, that they go ahead and get vaccinated uh, now to protect them from a potential breakthrough infection. Um, we hope to have more guidance out soon on the boosters, though, which will be that dose for folks who are of uh, completed Pfizer and are more than six months out from their last dose. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, both my parents talked with their healthcare provider. They're both immunocompromised, and they received their third dose and did did great with it. Um, so that gives me a little a little extra sigh of relief knowing they have that extra protection no um, as no well kid. in there. <laughs> All right. Um, speaking of 65 and older, there is this kind of a, a, a special flu shot. I don't even want to use the word special, but a, a kind of different formulation of the flu shot that can be given for folks that are older than 65. Can we spend the last few minutes talking about why that is? Yeah, that's such a great point. So uh, I'm really glad you brought that up because we hadn't really talked about that yet, but it's the it's the senior dose or it's it's actually a, a vaccine that's specially formulated for, for our elderly population. And it has four times the the antigen or four times those proteins that allow your immune spot response to to get really activated and that's because we know that that people when they they get over the age of 65 may not mount the same immune response may not have as good an immune response from the vaccine as younger people do and so um there's actually a, a vaccine, the flu vaccine, that's specially formulated for those folks 65 and older, and it is recommended for them. And it's given the same way that any of the other flu vaccine is given, but it's important to provide that additional protection just to make sure that our folks who are over the age of 65 who get flu vaccine get a good response and make good immunity to the uh, to the flu to prevent them from getting infected or having those severe complications. Yeah, and so ask your you know ask the pharmacy if you're scheduling with a pharmacy if they have the the vaccine available that's specially formulated for 65 and older. Um, ask your healthcare provider as well. But important that if nowhere has it, you can still get the regular regularly formulated flu vaccine if if that's all you have available. Gosh, you're right on top of it today. I'm going to tell you, Josie. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, don't don't not get the flu shot just because the senior dose is not available where you're going to get it. Get whatever flu shot is available. But if that senior dose is available, certainly we want you to get that if you're over the age of 65. But don't not get the flu shot just because of that. Get whatever formulation is available for you. Whatever they have. And, you know, there are historically been people who had you know severe egg allergies and those kinds of things that have been hesitant to get the flu vaccine again speak with your your provider you know we're given all egg free um here for for our folks that we're doing um but just have that conversation um you know if you're concerned about maybe a, a prior allergy that you had with an older uh you know variety of flu vaccine that there have been a lot of improvements to those things over the years so have that conversation with them and then lastly, one of the questions I get asked most often is Tylenol or ibuprofen. Are either one of those a good idea with your vaccine or should they be avoided? 
You know, I think that, you know, uh, in, in general, uh, Tylenol is, is typically more recommended than, than ibuprofen. But if you are having those those um, minimal symptoms that can occur post-vaccination, um, you can you can take Tylenol or you, really you can call your, your provider who will mm-hmm. have uh, a better idea of the medications that you may be taking and what, what over-the-counter um, uh, pain medication may be best for you. Thanks for listening to this MPB Think Radio podcast. MPB depends on support from listeners, so if you can, please contribute today at mpbonline.org. Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking, is a show that explores issues that relate to you and your family. To find out what we're all about, subscribe to the podcast by using any podcast app or by downloading our MPB public media app.